You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Thanks, Elliot. Well, good morning. Like Elliot said, I'm Andrew. I'm a student pastor here, and I'm really glad to be with you this morning as we continue our emotional intelligence series. Now, our emotions are the cry of our souls to tell us something important. They're a reaction to the different events of daily life that reveal our perspective. They're kind of like the, the warning lights on our dashboard that tell us what's going on underneath the hood. So far in our series, we've looked at sadness and anger. And in this journey, our guide has been the largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms. It's right in the middle. If you were to flop your Bible open, it'd be right there. And Psalms is a book of poetry that shines the light of God's truth on our inside world. And as we move forward in our conversation about the emotions we experience, we're actually wading into the larger conversation of mental health. Now, the World Health Organization defines mental health as a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. Basically, it's when the inside world of our minds allows us to handle the stresses and experiences we face in the outside world. Now, God has a lot to say about the inside world of our minds, and as the, the designer of both worlds, the outside and the inside world, we would be wise to check in with him and see what he has to say. And we're knee-deep in our overview of the four, most common, four of the most common emotions that we each face. Uh, our series looks at sad, mad, glad, and bad. Now, of the four, only one, glad, is generally considered to be a positive one. And today, we're, we're taking a deeper look into that emotion, glad, also known as joy. And to me, the picture of this emotion is my one-and-a-half-year-old son. It's really fun to see him experience things for the first time, and he has a blast. He's one of those kids, he just jumps into things and... While that doesn't always work out well for him, <laughs> it's fun to see him just kind of stoked about life. And so I want to show two instances of what I mean. Just give me a minute. Let me dad out here. And so check out this first video. My son, Emmett. so fun, man. By the end of the night, he was tearing it up, <laughs> driving that little electric car. Uh, before this clip, he actually, it was in the high-speed mode, so it goes faster than that, and he, he pushed the ga- gas pedal for the first time ever, and it just exploded forward, and he was so excited, and then it stopped abruptly, and you know, he, and he almost went through the windshield. He's fine. <laughs> so it's, it's fun to see how much he enjoys life, and actually about a week ago, another fun thing happened. We caught him singing a love song to his favorite invention. He loves baseballs, footballs, soccer balls, bouncy balls, literally anything round, and he calls them the ball. So I just want to share this video with you guys. It's so fun.
After that, he screamed and danced. <laughs> so, I mean, there are just times when he is loving life and he wants you to know about it. It's so fun to see him so glad. But while I would say I'm a happy guy, why don't I get as amped as he does about life? Is a life of joy meant to be one of just unwavering excitement about everything that happens in our lives? No. Like most things in our life, it's more complicated than that, so we're going to take a look at it today. Webster's definition of the word glad can be summarized as experiencing joy, and it can range from like the single greatest moment in life to a moment of quiet contentedness. We've all experienced gladness or joy in our life to one degree or another, so it's one of those things that, that you know it when you see it, and when we see it in other people's lives, especially like what you saw with my son, it, it's, it's usually dependent on circumstances. And as a nation, 150 million of us tuned in to watch 5.5 billion minutes of Olympic coverage this last month. And with every gold medal that was handed out, we got to see moments of joy in someone's life as they accomplished one of their greatest achievements. When we accomplish major milestones, we can bask in the glow of that experience for a while. But what happens when the joy from that fades? Or what happens if you expect gold and fail to land on the podium or even a spot in the Olympics? As it turns out, Webster's definition is less clear than what we find in the scriptures about what gladness or joy is. The scriptures add a minute but very important detail to the definition of being glad. It is experiencing joy that is independent of our circumstances. So whether you landed on the top step at the Olympics or you're watching it at home, you can still experience joy. And it grows in our lives as we're tethered to God and his people. It intense, its intensity, it does ebb and flow. It has peaks and valleys, but God's desire is for its presence to increase in our lives rather than decrease. We see this time and time again in the pages of the Bible, but it's most prominent or frequent in the book of Psalms. Reading through this book, there are real people with real emotions facing real life. We're going to find ourselves in Psalm 94 today looking at the poem of a writer who went through some pretty extreme struggles. Um, and, and so I want to take a look at that for, with us today. This is Psalm 94, verses 16 through 19. It says this, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Now this psalm is a call for God to rise up and bring justice on a, on a major scale. Some wicked rulers had made injustice the law, and it was a very difficult environment for people who were trying to remain faithful to God. He even says that unless the Lord had given him help, he would have died. So rightfully so, this caused an immense amount of stress. But in the midst of this internal and external heartache, the psalmist was able to find joy, which is a pretty amazing feat, considering that our anxiety is often viewed as a barrier to joy, or even its opposite. 
It's because as life moves forward, it actually becomes more complex. And the number of our internal anxieties usually increase, not decrease. The older we get, the more responsibility is placed on our shoulders. We form more attachments. And the consequences of our wrong decisions, they get bigger rather than smaller. Retirement is even typically viewed as a time when the responsibilities and attachments that we form are supposed to be less. But over the years, instead of escaping from them, we've actually formed more attachments. Whether that's kids, grandkids, friends, or even assets, these are all things that are potential stress adders. It's natural that as stress and pressure mount from specific people and places on the outside, that anxiety begins to grow on the inside. And while our anxieties tend to have a name, a face, an address, or a date associated with them, they stem from the same root cause. If I could categorize the common source of our anxiety, it would be our limitations, our shortcomings, our weaknesses. But not just your personal limitations, but limitations that are innate to our experience as people. Going back to our passage, we actually see our major limitations exposed in the questions the psalmist is asking about his circumstances. This isn't an exhaustive list that we'll go over today, but but let's look at three limitations common to all people. The first limitation is our limited view. The psalmist writes, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? The fact that we even have to ask the question exposes the first limitation. We have a limited view. We cannot see the end from the beginning, and we do not know how things will work out in the end. For those who don't factor God into their view of the world, this is a, a very daunting future. And even for those who do, we cannot look into the future and see how God is going to pull through in all circumstances. Usually from our vantage point, we don't know how God plans to deal with the present hurdles that we're facing. What will happen when your only car breaks and you need to get to work? You don't have the money to fix it. Or maybe someone you love gets injured or sick. Maybe your sector of the economy is shrinking and jobs are scarce or even disappearing. Other questions like, will I get married? Who will I marry? Or what am I supposed to do when I grow up? Are questions that are asked often. These are big questions that we're not qualified to answer because we don't see all the variables and we cannot see into the future. At least that's how I felt when I was trying to date my wife, Sarah. I'll show you a picture of us a few months before we got engaged. (laughs) Guy looks like a baby. (laughs) You can tell it was windy, too. When I describe our dating relationship, I usually say the fourth time was a charm. And then I go on to explain how the process of our dating relationship was really an exercise in in discerning God's timing. We didn't have an on-again, off-again relationship. We had an off-again, off-again relationship. (laughs) Each time I tried to ask her out, or since God having us pursuing dating, he would make it very clear to one of us, usually her, that we shouldn't start dating at that time. And it was tough because we still had to be around each other. We were involved in the same groups at college. Even after college, we worked at the same place. And I really liked that girl. But a relationship with her seemed elusive. I couldn't see what God was doing, and there didn't seem to be a happy ending 
insight for our story. I had a limited view. I didn't have the whole picture, and that really is how life is. It's a reality we're faced with. Most days, we're confronted with decisions that will affect our future without the knowledge of how it will turn out. And not only do we lack the perspective to see through the anxieties to the other side, but we often lack the power to fix what worries us. That's our second limitation, our limited strength. And the same question, the psalmist asks, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? He's wondering who's going to rise up? Who's going to, to stand up for him? These questions expose our limited power. The, the psalmist is asking who is going to, to stand up on his behalf when the opposition is too great, when the forces against him are just stronger than what he on, on his own could do. There are problems in life that are too big for us to solve on our own, whether it's on the national, state, or personal level. Often we don't have the position, the authority, or the sheer force of will to fix every single thing that worries us. We can't control the outcome, and that tends to add anxiety. Now, why would that add anxiety? I think it's obvious, but the questions that run through my mind are, how will my kids turn out? You know, I'm doing my best, but there's no guarantee. Or, you know, how will I provide for my family? I know God is faithful. Or just what future is, is coming down the pike for my kids? A lot of these questions are doom and gloom, right? Not only, though, do we lack the perspective to see through the anxiety to see the other side and the power to fix everything that worries us, but we often look at our situation that we, can, that we can see, and we just don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond. And that reveals our third limitation. That's our limited wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to accurately read situations in life and respond in a way that honors God. Our limited view means our ability to read situations can just be off from the start. And our limited power means that we won't always be able to respond rightly. And in the face of those limitations, we regularly do not know what to do. We have limited wisdom. I mean, how do you respond when your kids drop a bombshell on you? How do you help, peop- how do you help them navigate the complexities of their friendships when people say and do mean things? How do you personally navigate the complexities of your friendships? What do you do when a a friend tells you something wrong, sad, hurtful, or just strange? I mean, my oldest daughter is seven years old, and the problems she's beginning to face already expose the limits of my wisdom and my ability to help her. So I don't always know how to respond to the seemingly limitless number of scenarios that could happen in the future. I'm sure some things popped up this week that expose the limits of your view, your strength, or even your wisdom as well. But there is hope in the midst of our limited existence. We can even be glad in its midst because joy has a foundation. And that foundation is a personal relationship with God. For any building to bear weight and become structurally sound, it needs a solid foundation. Building a life that produces joy is no different. As we discussed, we are weak, not strong. But your limitations and weaknesses, they provide you with an opportunity for great joy. They are an expressway to the humility that is required to begin and sustain a relationship with God. Psalm 1611, speaking of God, says, You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when you humble yourself and accept the forgiveness God offers through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you are anchoring yourself to the source of joy. You now have the means to enjoy the life that God desires for all people. That is when eternal life begins and a personal relationship with God begins. His desire is not for us just to survive this life and the pressures hopping from one experience to the next. God's desire is for us to, little by little, experience the the blessings and benefits of eternal life right now, to begin to experience heaven on earth in our relationships, our friendships, and in this life. The primary benefit of the eternal life that God offers is a personal relationship with God himself. And often we talk about this personal relationship, one where, you know, you interact with God, reading the Bible, praying, seeing him come through, spending time with him and developing a real rapport with him. But growing up, for me, I thought that was more of a man-made idea that the Bible didn't teach, or at least one that I hadn't personally experienced. Turns out, I hadn't read much of the Bible, (laughs) and I'll never forget how mind-blowing it was whenever I read the words of Jesus describing eternal life. It happens during one of the darkest moments in Jesus' life. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and all the people who would come to believe in him through their witness, which means us. And in John 17, 3, Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word translated know in this passage is the same word that is used to describe the relationship with a friend or a loved one. We get to know God and be close to him like a friend forever. It's an absolute privilege and great joy to know the God and creator of the universe, that he cares for us and wants us to know him, to know our spiritual father, not just facts about him, but to be his friend. And a relationship with God is the bedrock for a life that regularly experiences joy. Without that, we were cut off from the source of lasting joy. It's a joy that sustains. For those who have not decided to follow Christ, there are still positive experiences and excitement in life. They are just a part of God's kindness toward all people and also an aspect of how he created us. But the glow and high from those experiences inevitably fades and leaves us searching for the next thing. In fact, the faster you embrace your limitations, the faster you will end up face-to-face with the ultimate source of joy, God himself. And he's the source of joy because he is the answer to our sources of anxiety and the only one who's powerful enough and good enough to give us real help and comfort. Psalm 94, 16 and 19. At the end, in verse 19, the psalmist is describing the joy that he felt from God. He says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. So what brought the psalmist comfort And joy in the middle of a life raging around him was was consolation that comes from God. Now, consolation, it just means to comfort. And for anyone who's needed comfort, you know that consolation is most effectively delivered through a personal relationship. It's kind of like the difference between being comforted at a hospital by a close friend rather than a doctor. You know that the person cares and there's a relationship. And dependence is the key to a deepening personal relationship with God where comfort and joy can most effectively be delivered. 
the driving force of a dependent Christian is the belief that despite our limitations, there is a good, unlimited God at work, and we desperately need his help. As the pendulum of our emotions swings back towards anxiety and away from joy, it really takes humility to turn our thoughts back to God and swing the pendulum back the other way. It's in that humble submission that to God's design that puts us in the position where joy can begin to grow, where it can take root. So let's look at three ways that joy can grow despite our limitations. The first way joy can grow is as we accept God's view. Psalm 33:11 says this, "But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations." God's vantage point encompasses everything that has ever happened and ever will happen. There is a good plan in place that unfolds in our lives, accomplishing the purposes of God. God's desires work themselves out across all generations. These plans are not just a list of tasks that God wants to accomplish. These are the purposes of his heart. These plans are founded on his unchanging character and they're the product of his unfailing love. They do not exclude stress and difficulty, but they do include his help, his unfailing love, his comfort, and joy. Often, we talk to God as if we want his perspective to align with our own. However, we, we need to do the aligning, because whose plans stand firm? the Lord's. For how long? Forever. It would do us good to stop our game of tug of war with his plans. Uh, that's, honestly, that's a losing venture. Instead, we can humbly lay down our plan and seek to live uprightly within his plan. Why? We can't see how it all unfolds. That takes generations. Choosing God's perspective will keep us from wigging out when the hard things persist. The humbling part is that the difficult things that happen are a part of his master plan that he is working, but to see from his vantage point really requires humility. It requires the daily humility to lay down our point of view and actively seek for his. Joy can also grow as we seek God's strength. Psalm 105, verse 4, it's short and sweet. It says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And this verse is pretty clear. God is strong, and we should seek his strength to face life. We find strength in his presence. And in God's firm plans, he has given us a part to play. He's given us real responsibility and an assignment to carry out. But that assignment, since it's from God's plan requires more strength than our limited amount that we bring. It takes God-sized strength to accomplish his plan in our life. And I don't believe many of us would say that God is weak. But here's the issue. We think we're pretty buff, right? From our perspective, we don't need God's help nearly as often as we actually do. We would never say that, but it shows up in how much we include God in our daily decisions. And when we fail to seek 
the strength that comes from including God in our decision-making. We're really headed towards the stresses of life without the joy that his presence could bring us. Maybe you do include him in the big decisions, but I think we can all struggle to include him in the trenches of daily life where we receive his power to obey him. I spent some time thinking about why. It doesn't make sense. And this is the answer that I came up with. We can choose to avoid his presence. When we sense that God will ask us to give up something we want, we'll call off the search for his power that's found in his presence. We'll, we'll stop doing the, the things that we know bring us closer to God because, you know, this is just something that we want to do. Even though his presence is where joy is found, we will shield different areas of our life from his oversight for fear that he actually isn't strong enough to make good on his promises. We take control of those areas rather than submitting them to God. But the answer to our limited strength is surrendering every area of our life to God. There is a firm plan in place moving forward. It includes good for us even as we experience difficulty. Because difficulty is where our limits are apparent, our character is exposed, and God's power can come to bear on our behalf. That's uncomfortable, and it's humbling. But do we want to participate in that plan willfully and receive his strength, or do we want to dig our heels in and burn ourselves out? When we do not seek his presence and his strength, we're choosing to cut ourselves off from the power source. God desires to empower us to fulfill his plans and provide some joy along the way. And as we learn to see life from God's perspective, we seek his strength in our part of the plan. Joy can also grow as we apply God's wisdom. The answer to our limited wisdom is applying the wisdom that comes from God's word. Psalm 119, verses 105, 104 and 105 says, I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Again, wisdom is the ability to read life situations and respond in a way that honors God. Here, wisdom is referred to as understanding, and it comes from God's words. As we focus on our limitations, our thoughts begin to spiral downward, and the lights begin to get really dim. When our perspective is off, it can be easy to mistake the wrong path forward for God's path. With each decision, we need to go to our guide for direction. God has given us the guide to life in his word that will illuminate the path forward for us. So remember that story I was telling you about my wife? I couldn't see God's timing in our relationship and the future joy that that would bring my life. I had no way of knowing that I would be getting ready to celebrate nine years of marriage, have four awesome kids, and get to watch cute videos of that dude. <laughs> he was using that extra time to build my trust in him as we move forward into the future, to really trust in the plan that he had for me, whether I was going to have a wife or not. I couldn't understand why I would be kept from dating this awesome girl. And in that time, one day, I was reading the Psalms for my quiet time, and a couple of verses hit me like a lightning bolt. In Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12, it says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. 
Now, just to be clear, I did not take this as a promise for a wife. But in this verse, I found perspective for my life. In this verse, I realized that God had good in store for me, and my job was to walk uprightly and to trust him for his future plans. And in the midst of my struggle with this, I really clung to that verse when anxiety popped up about who I would marry or if that was even a part of God's plan. And even now, as other anxieties pop up for my life, I still come back to that verse. It's one of my favorites. And memorizing verses from the Bible has been one of the most helpful things that I've done to apply God's wisdom to my life. Most of the battle for joy takes place in between our ears. That's where the battlefield is. An important tactic in warfare is bringing ammunition to the battlefield. You don't want to show up to a battle empty-handed, and it's the same for your thoughts. It's most effective to show up for the battle in your mind with the ammunition from God's word. So for each of these three areas, I've given you a short verse that can be used as a helpful reminder of the truth when you start to get anxious. There can be, my hope is that they're a help for you as you regularly bump up against your limitations. And instead of turning, path, turning onto the path of anxiety, you, you turn into the path of trust with God. And so I'd encourage you to, to look at the three limitations that we face and ask yourself which one you regularly struggle with the most. And then I'd encourage you to commit one of these verses to memory or one like it that addresses that specific issue to help remind you in the middle of the battle so that you can be more glad and less sad or anxious. There are difficulties and pressures that bombard us daily. Our sin, the sin of others, and the brokenness of the world can have a hardening effect on our hearts. We need daily perspective and help from God to maintain a sense of his goodness and purpose in the world around us. Living life dependent on God is a daily decision. If, if you, like many of us, have gotten off track in your relationship with God and you're not living in daily dependence on him, I want to encourage you, he is close at hand. You can turn to him and continue that relationship because God wants you to be glad despite your limitations and the anxieties they bring. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we can apply to our lives. God, uh, you are in control. You are over all things. God, you have an unlimited view. You have a good plan, and you are completely wise. I pray that this week, each one of us would, would take a look at, at our own hearts and discern which area we, we struggle with. God, that you would help give us our next step as we move forward, that we would grow our trust in you as we see your plan unfold before us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.